In Jesus' famous sermon called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, the disciples asked him, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered that question in that sermon. And Daniel 12 delves into that question as well. We'll learn about the end of the age today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. If you haven't discovered what your spiritual gifts are, you can do that. What do you feel a tug toward? Where do you have a passion? Where, when you serve in a certain area, do other people say, you know what? You're called to this, man. I can see gifts in you that, you know, when you do this particular thing, people respond. When you do this certain thing, you're good at it. That's probably your way. And the only thing you have to do is go. (laughs) And that is perhaps the biggest challenge. Who was at the clash that said, saying, should I stay or should I go now? If I go, it will be trouble. If I stay, it will be double. (laughs) So come on and let me know. (laughs) All right, that's enough of that. Sometimes we stay because we think it'll keep us out of trouble. Oh, I don't know. How many, how, many, how many people in the scriptures that God says, uh, okay, it's time, it's go time, and they say, oh, no, 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 Lord. Here I am, Lord, send him. Here I am, Lord, send her. You have the wrong address. I'm of the least of the families of Corona. Don't you know I'm not good at public speaking? Lord, can I inform you about my... My weaknesses? No, I've got the right guy. I've got the right gal. I'm calling you. See, the problem is, sometimes we don't want to go. We don't want to just say, Lord, okay, if you are calling me, then you will equip me to do what you've called me to do, so I'm going to go, wherever that means, whatever that means. For some of you, it means go into that Sunday school room and actually teach Sunday school. But those little kids are so scary. I know. But you'll have a helper in the classroom. And we try to get big, muscular guys. I'm just kidding. I don't even know. <laughs> we could use guys, Chloe. They, they could go into the classroom. Do you know, how, are most of your Sunday school teachers male or female? They're female. You have two men teaching Sunday school. Hmm. That's all I have to say about that. You see, in verse 10, moving out of application to the end times, many will be purged, purified, and, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight, you can write down chapter 12, verse 3 there, will understand. You see, when the power of the holy people is shattered, three things will happen, New American Standard. It's a little different in some of the versions. Many will be purged. It means to be purified, probably through a process. 
The second word is purified, which means to be made spotless, NIV. Be made white or cleansed, ESV. Cleansed, New Living Translation. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be what? White as snow. And refined, which means to smelt, to fuse, to prove in the fire, to test. Why does God allow troubling times sometimes so that we have no power and no strength left? So that we will be purged, purified, and refined. And it's, some, and it's hot in the fire. And it's uncomfortable in the fire. And when God's scraping away the dross in my life, ow! <laughs> no, don't touch that spot again. <laughs> Why does God allow this trouble as Israel is the focal point so that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining? Why does God allow trouble times in my life so that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining? Why does God put certain difficult people into my life? So that there will be a purging, a purifying, and a refining. <laughs> See, this is where the change comes. In the everyday stuff of life, it's where he purges us of junk, purifies us, and refines us. Look at Daniel 11.35. Similar language when it says, and some of those who have insight will fall, Daniel 11.35, in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. There will be those, Daniel 12.10, who understand and in their understanding, they will, they will get insight and that seems to be a big part of what's going on here, that they will see God for who he is. You know, when you get purged and purified and refined, it's usually so that you can see things through God's perspective. See, what he's trying to get out of you, and I mean out of you, is self. What he's scraping away is selfishness. What he's purifying is all those rough edges. You gotta melt them away. So you can see him. So you can understand him. So you can say like, Job, I heard about you before, but now I see you. I'm gonna be quiet now. You talk, I'll listen. And when that happens to you, God is making you a vessel fit for the master's use. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And it has a result that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. But there will be people, 12.10, who even though they're in the midst of the fire, will not understand, they will not see <clears throat> The wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. Those who have insight will understand. Those who have their eyes open to the ways of God will understand. And this applies in our day as well. But the wicked will continue to act wickedly and they will not get it. They will not understand. It will be the time of Jacob's trouble. And those who are written in the book of life will be rescued. Remember Jesus told the story about the ten virgins 
Five were wise, five were foolish. Five had uh, oil for their lamps and five had no oil. And on that day, when they knock at the door, they say, let us in, let us into the wedding feast. And the master opens the door and says, depart from me, I never knew you. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, we've already established the abomination of desolation, where he stops the regular uh, offering in the temple, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be what? 1,290 days. Now, just when we thought we had the 1,260 down, now there's 1,290 days, which is three and a half years plus another month. Another 30 days. Why do we have an extra 30 days? Well, there's all kinds of ideas as to why, but let me give you the two primary ones that I think it is. I think it is the extra 30 days are going to be a time for national mourning in Israel and national cleansing. Get this. In Deuteronomy 34.8, the sons of Israel wept for Moses after he died in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Deuteronomy 34.8. In Numbers 20.29, 20, when the, all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, the first high priest of Israel, Moses' brother, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. I believe that what's going to happen is that there's going to be a time of national mourning in Israel for a month. And it may go, it may be in uh, commensurate with a time of cleansing as well. Here's another interesting thing. In Israel, they had an alternate day for the Passover. If you were unclean, coming from foreign lands, defiled under Jewish law, away on a journey, an alternate date for the Passover was provided. And it was 30 days later than the normal date of the Passover lamb being slain. Sometimes when we go through something and God opens our eyes and we realize we've been wrong, we've seen something wrong, all we can do is mourn and cry. And when we do, sometimes there's no comfort. Sometimes you just have to get it out. You just have to cry. You just have to mourn. And, you know, sometimes when you go through a loss and there's, you know, there's no perfect formula on grieving something, you just have to allow yourself to grieve and that can be the hardest thing. And so Israel is going to go through a time of national mourning because they're going to see that for all this time they rejected their Messiah. Can you imagine the regret that's going to be in the nation of Israel when they see the Lord Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory and think of how many households have mocked his name in Israel for thousands of years? Saying he can't be the Messiah. He's a would-be Messiah. And now they see him coming with nail prints in his hands and his feet. Imagine the regret. Now, this is where you need to turn to the book of Zechariah, and we're winding down, but I want to show you. This is to your right. It's the second to the last book before you hit the New Testament, all right? You got Zechariah and then Malachi. Look at Zechariah 12. Now, Zechariah describes this time. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Sometimes when we go through something and God opens our eyes and we realize we've been wrong, we've seen something wrong, all we can do is mourn and cry. And when we do, sometimes there's no comfort. Sometimes you just have to get it out. You just have to cry. You just have to mourn. And, you know, sometimes when you go through a loss and there's, you know, there's no perfect formula on grieving something, you just have to allow yourself to grieve and that can be the hardest thing. And so Israel's going to go through a time of national mourning because they're going to see that for all this time, they rejected their Messiah. Can you imagine the regret that's going to be in the nation of Israel when they see the Lord Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory and think of how many households have mocked his name in Israel for thousands of years, saying he can't be the Messiah, he's a would-be Messiah. And now they see him coming with nail prints in his hands and his feet. Imagine the regret. Now this is where you need to turn to the book of Zechariah. And we're winding down. But I want to show you. This is to your right. It's the second to the last book before you hit the New Testament. Right? You got Zechariah and then Malachi. Look at Zechariah 12. Now Zechariah describes this time of the end when he says these words. This is Zechariah 12. Look at verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, Zechariah 12, 10, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad, Draman, in the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, the wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi, and so forth. And all the families that remain, 14, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Go to chapter 13, verse 1. In that day... A fountain will be opened up for the house of David, figuratively, that's Israel, and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity, a cleansing, if you will. And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. They will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit. Those 30 days 
probably serve for a time of cleansing, mourning and cleansing and preparation for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Daniel and we'll finish. And so, as Daniel's summing up the book, he tells us about this 30 days. He tells us about the cries in Israel. And then he says in verse 12, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the, what? <laughs> 1,335 days. Now we got another 45 days. <laughs> what in the world's going on with that? Well, here's the interesting thing, and it comes from uh, an author named Marv Rosenthal. And he says these words. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. He says, from the time of the Day of Atonement on the Jewish calendar, from the time of Yom Kippur, okay, we all know that's one of the fall feasts, the Day of National Atonement for Israel. You can tie that to the return of Jesus Christ. Remember you have the... Um, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the, um, what's the final one in the fall? With the tents, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Three feasts in the fall. They, uh, scholars believe that Jesus' second coming aligns with the fall feast. So think about October time frame. Okay, little, we're a little past it right now. You have the Day of Atonement for Israel. You have the Feast of Trumpets. Jesus is gonna come with the trumpet blast, the day of atonement, and then you have tabernacles, when God dwells among his people. So at the first coming, Jesus fulfilled the spring feast. At the second coming, he's going to fulfill the fall feast. There'll be an atoning sacrifice, if you will, a cleansing of Israel, and God will dwell among his people. From the feast of Yom Kippur to Hanukkah, according to this author, is 75 days. Now get this. It's the 30 days we just read about plus 45 equals 75 from the Day of Atonement, one of the fall feasts, to Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the feast of cleansing and rededication of what? The temple. Now think about it. What will have to happen in Israel when all this stuff goes down? The Antichrist does his business. Jesus comes and rescues his people and there's a cleansing of the land. What will have to happen then? A rebuilding, a rededication, a recommitment to the things of God, especially for the people of Israel. You see, whenever something goes amiss in your life, when maybe God breaks the power of self-reliance in your life, you have to go through a rededication, a cleansing and rededication process. Ever been there before? Ever been in a situation where the rubble was all around you, but you realize that God is using this season to rebuild and start over again? And it may be that you made some personal decisions that caused rubble in your life, or somehow something happened, and the Lord came in and rescued you. Your eyes were finally open to who Jesus is amidst the rubble. And you had to go through a cleansing period and a rededication period. You had to come to know your God and let him rebuild your life now on that one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? I think this is all of our stories as Christians. And Israel's going to go through this. And it says, how blessed is he who attains to the 13 35 days, 1,335 days. The extra 75, you can see the connection. And finally, but as for you, 
Back to Daniel. Go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion. When? At the end of the age. This man who is greatly beloved by God, greatly loved in heaven, would die. He would enter into his rest and he is going to rise again at the resurrection. And what's he going to get? His allotted portion, his reward at the end of the age. What kind of reward do you think Daniel's going to get? I think Daniel's going to be rocking in the millennium. Don't you? This is a guy who took some strong stands for God. I think Daniel's going to have a prominent position when Jesus rules and reigns. And Daniel's entered into his rest because to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. I was listening to Alistair Begg preach in, uh, in, in this position, uh, and I know we all deal with it, but perhaps more for pastors. Uh, we deal with a fair amount of death and uh, sickness. And so you end up in situations where you're with people and uh, a lot of prayer has gone up and people are leaning into the promises of God and that's a good thing. And we should always be trusting in the Lord and placing our faith in Christ. But here's the thing. Christians die. Faithful followers of Christ die. Daniel died. David died. Jonah died. Joshua, Moses, I could go on and on. Peter and John and James. You know, church, uh, famous people in church history that you've read biographies about died. And Begg said, uh, I think it was of uh, Richard Baxter said one of the jobs of a pastor is to teach his people how to die well. Not a pleasant thought, I know, but there it is. You see, we, it's appointed unto a man to live, or to live and to die once, and then comes what? The judgment. So we, we, we live in a generation right now that is really almost a death-denying culture, right? We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to hear about it. And even in faith circles, oh, you're only sick because you, you didn't have enough faith. or what? No, look, we live in a fallen world, man. <laughs> but our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I asked you, for to me to live is, fill in the blank, what would the blank be? For to me to live is, and we're not going to ask you, we're going to ask the people who know you the best. To him or to her, to live is football, golf. I don't want to leave you ladies out, shopping. <laughs> right? But if you can say, to me, to live is Christ. Then you could say, and to die is gain. And Daniel 
would enter into his rest and rise again. Daniel's going to rise again at the resurrection and get an allotted portion at the end of the age. Job said it for all of us. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth even after my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh, I shall see God. Listening family, I so appreciate you walking with me in this series in the book of Daniel. My prayer for you in reflecting on this series is that you would dare to be a Daniel, that you would be walking with the Lord, that you would be strong in him and in the strength of his might and be a light to this generation. Let's be praying for each other. Let's stand strong in this coming year, this exciting year, and let's extend his kingdom for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm pleased to let you know that we'll be doing a couple of special Christmas messages during Christmas week. We're going to do a message called I Am, the powerful I Am statement from the Gospel of John by Jesus Christ himself. This is an important message maybe to talk to your friends about who don't believe that Jesus is the exclusive way to God. He emphatically not only says he's the way, but that he is God. So tune in for that, and then we'll follow that up with a special message called Emmanuel, God with us. Very powerful stuff during the Christmas week. Hey, if we don't see you, have a very Merry Christmas, a very blessed holiday season, and thank you for all that you do to partner with Walk in Truth. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.